And welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And I'm going to try something in today's edition that I haven't tried in a while, but I want to try to get to a number of different items. So I'm going to try a rapid fire Novak Now here. And, um, you know, it's, it's difficult because like many of you, uh, I do uh, often listen to the talk radio shows from the major talk radio guys like, you know, the Rush Limbaugh's, the Mark Levins, um, a few other people out there, and Dennis Prager. And, you know, they have the luxury of three or four hour programs. And the best way, just so you know, this is a good radio production or a news production tip I'm about to give you. The best way to do a good radio, talk radio program is really to keep it to one topic per half hour. Um, maybe even sometimes one topic per hour. And if you can pull it off with enough different nuance, uh, more than, more than an hour for, for one, if you have a good enough topic, uh, also good not to have too many voices. If you got, you know, some of those panel shows that you hear on the radio are really rough to follow because unlike TV, you don't have a little, uh, note telling you who's talking and when and, and all that. And it becomes a little bit difficult. It's like, uh, directing traffic in a traffic jam. So, uh, that's one of the disadvantages uh, I have with a half hour every week, and uh, I'm not complaining, just, saying, just ma- stating the fact that it's hard to do more than one topic. But I do want to try to get to a number of topics today, because there are a number of things I want to I, I touch on that are going on right now. And then one thing, one really important uh, fact, historical issue that I left out of last week's edition of Novak Now, the tribute to my late uncle Alan Meyer... Uh, I, I was talking so much about his, his experience as an American and as a patriot and as a friend to Japanese Americans and all that, and I forgot one very important, maybe the most important thing he did um, in the Jewish part of his life, in the Jewish story part of, life, part of his life that also connected with his connection to the Japanese people and his connection to World War II. So I wanted to finish the program with that. That's what I'll finish with. But I want to start with what's unfortunately been really the top story for the the Jewish community and really one of the top stories period in the United States over the last week which is just this domino effect or maybe it's like finding roaches i don't know what to say it's 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 a very very sad situation with the number of celebrities and athletes who have either come out with recent extremely recent or even in the last few days or somewhere in the last year finding out that they have made anti-semitic statements finding out they have made s- statements in support of the minister Louis Farrakhan from the Nation of Islam. Uh, and not just casual or off-the-cuff kinds of things, real, like, almost manifestos uh, filled with ancient and, and medieval uh, anti-Semitic tropes. I know that's kind of a, a term that's, that's gotten into the, the public uh, vernacular in the last couple of years, so I, I'm not so sure everyone understands what that means. It's just you know the old the old stereotypes. I mean, let's about about Jewish people, about Jews ha- having all the money, about Jews having all the power. I mean these these old old, so often discredited, but yet still they don't die. Stereotypes and and epithets against Jewish people, and of course the most prominent person doing this was Deshaun Jackson, the star wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, who just did this very recently. I mean, he posted something on his Twitter feed quoting Hitler. I mean, literally quote, quoting Hitler I and mean, not, not, not hiding it either. And then supporting Minister Louis Farrakhan, who, again, inexplicably, 
is a fan of Hitler. It doesn't make any sense that any African-American would support Hitler. He wanted genocide for Africans as well and African-Americans. Anyone who doesn't know that is really ignorant of history. But that, that changing of history or that revision of history to make it sound like Adolf Hitler was somehow sympathetic to black Americans is ridiculous. It's just not based on any fact whatsoever. I guess there are some black people who believe this. Um, but really, the, the, any admiration for Hitler among people like Farrakhan and, and Deshaun Jackson seems to be completely rooted in Hitler's ha- hatred for Judaism, which they admire. Now, there have been some other athletes who have also come out either in support of Farrakhan, support of Jackson, support of these kinds of hateful messages. But also now we're learning that Nick Cannon, the host of, uh, of a show which I liked, frankly, The Masked Singer, also posted this kind of stuff just over the last year. And it wasn't just a a Twitter post. It was a video that he posted talking to the former uh, guy who used to be connected with Public Enemy, the the rap group, a guy named Professor Griff, who for 30 years has been an outspoken anti-Semite. But Nick Cannon, of all people, who just comes off as, you know, Mr. Friendly, uh, he comes into your living room all the time with his different shows and and, and all that. And, and for him to hear him saying this kind of stuff is also just so shocking and hurtful. So I want to say a couple of quick things about this because, again, I want to get to a number of topics t- uh, today. But a couple of quick things about it. First is, uh, first is a message to my fellow Jews and to anyone else who's outraged about this. We should be outraged about each one of these individual incidents. And I think that there is a discussion to be had about why there are certain communities in the United States that seem to be more susceptible to anti-Semitism than others. And that's a somewhat, I think, useful conversation. But I don't think it's the central conversation. And I really want to advise my fellow Jews and everyone else who wants to say, well, most blacks are anti-Semitic or most black people are likely to follow this kind of nonsense. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if there's ever been any definitive study on it. I think that there have been some studies on it, but I don't know if they're, if they're believable. I don't know if black people in the United States are any more likely to be anti-Semitic than white people or Latino people or any other group or Asians. I don't know. That doesn't matter, honestly. We're not here to do polls, and we're not here really to look at numbers. We really need to address each one of these incidents individually. And I think a lot of people are, are willing to do that now, and that's a good thing. The bad thing is that so many people clearly are willing to excuse Deshaun Jackson in the, con- in, in the greater scheme of things. If this had been a white athlete who had said something similar about black people, um, he would have been cut from the team by now. And I think that that's not even a question. But instead of wringing our hands about an entire, you know, whether, what communities are more likely to hate us, instead of wringing our hands about how Deshaun Jackson got, is getting a lighter punishment, because he is, I think one of the things I really want to focus on really quickly is this idea that the way to fix this is to give these athletes and these celebrities Holocaust education. And apparently Deshaun Jackson has been given and and has accepted an invitation to visit Auschwitz. Now, I don't think it's a bad thing (laughs) to teach people about the Holocaust, clearly people who may not know a lot about it. But I am very hesitant to believe that this is a panacea And I'm also very hesitant to say that this is really the best way to deal with this issue. It's not a bad thing to do. Educating people about the Holocaust is probably never a bad thing to do, unless it's being done at the expense of something even more vital at the the time. But I'm not sure that it works all that well to say, well, we've been victims too. 
I think it's important to say that the kind of stereotypes and hatred that you're spreading, if you're Deshaun Jackson or somebody like that, can lead to things like the Holocaust, can make the things like the Holocaust easier to achieve. I think that's a very important lesson to learn. But I would also, it may be even a bigger priority for me, is like maybe we, people like Deshaun Jackson and Nick Cannon need to meet black people who understand how dangerous anti-Semitism is. I know that there are, a lot, for example, a lot of black reverends, preachers, ministers in all, par- all, all parts of the country who are very supportive of the Jewish people, very supportive of Israel. I would like maybe they should meet them first so they can speak to them from at least the, a similar experience and say, hey, Deshaun, you're doing exactly what some white people do to us, have been doing to us for centuries. This is exactly what, what's kept us down, the same thing. This is exactly what enables people to lynch black people over the centuries and do horrible things like that. You're doing the same thing. Just because it's Jewish people doesn't make, make it any, wor- any, any less worse. It's the same thing. I wonder if that might, I, I think that that's actually a better approach than starting with or doing Holocaust education or taking people to Auschwitz who clearly don't even have, the fir- really aren't even on the first page of the book of understanding about things that you do and do not say about entire groups of people. It's, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. Obviously, Louis Farrakhan is a different story. He is using his anti-Semitism very, in a very educated way, sadly. He knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, you've heard me say many times here on, on, on Novak Nehar, on the Nachum Siegel Network, that anti-Semitism is the low-hanging fruit that a lot of revolutionary movements and groups that want to be revolutionary movements or groups that want to become larger and more powerful use. You know, if, if they had a sign outside, almost all the revolutionary movements and all the, all the groups that want to become more powerful, it would say, come for the anti-Semitism, stay for the revolution. Anti-Semitism attracts fervent, angry people that almost every revolutionary group needs. And at some point or another, a dangerous revolutionary movement, I'm not talking about protest movements like civil rights movement that's, you know, in, in the 60s and the 50s that, that had a positive goals and used nonviolence. I'm talking about violent groups or groups that will eventually become violent. They will almost always resort to anti-Semitism at some point, even if they have Jews within the movement. Eventually, they'll either purge them or find some way to get them to disavow their Judaism, as exactly what happened with the Communist Party in, in, in Russia. So... This is what Louis Farrakhan's after. He's beyond hope as far as being educated because he knows what he's doing with his anti-Semitism. But the people like Deshaun Jackson and Nick Cannon, maybe there's hope for them. And I'm not sure that starting with talking about the Holocaust or taking them to Auschwitz is really the best way to go. Again, not that that would be a bad thing to do. It's just that I think that maybe they need to hear from other black leaders and other black people who know how terrible it is what they're doing and can explain to them from a black perspective how horrible it is. Uh, apparently there's one anchor woman at uh, ESPN who is African-American who's been really outspoken against Deshaun Jackson. Um, and uh, I will post her name. You can find her story on my Twitter feed. I'll have that up before the end of the day. And she deserves a lot of support. This is exactly what I'm talking about. An African-American speaking from, this, from, from, from an African-American perspective, talking about how bad it is what Deshaun Jackson has done and how he should be punished more severely and the whole thing. So I think... That's really probably the better way to go to start, to start out. Um, but, you know, I wish it were just the non-Jews who were spreading the lies and making it easier for Jews to be attacked and criticized and demonized, because it isn't. Unfortunately, 
our own fellow Jews continue to fall for, a number of our own fellow Jews continue to fall for some of this nonsense and, and keep making the same mistake. Now, you've heard me say before here on this program that while black lives absolutely do matter and there is a definitely righteous push in this, I think it's a righteous push. I think that it is, it is an absolute good idea to try to change the way some police officers act, not only with black suspects, but with all suspects. There's nothing wrong with, with, with pointing out that, that black, black suspects are more likely to be killed by police officers than white suspects, although overall, because there are so many more white people in this country than black people, there are still more white people killed by cops every year. It's just larger than the percentage of, you know, 14% of Americans are African Americans. Sadly, more than 14% of police killings uh, uh, are, are, are black people. So I do think that that's absolutely worth discussing and worth fixing, and we do need those reforms. And I think number one on that list of reforms is to find a way to get the police unions out of the way of protecting bad actor cops. You know, there are some police unions that are doing great work. There are some, the Fraternal Order of Police, which it really isn't a police union. It's, it's a different type of organization. I, I support the Fraternal Order of Police. But, you know, some of the police unions that I've had experiences with here in New York, for example, and in some other cities, not so great. They do what a lot of unions do, which is protect the lowest common denominator. You know, unions have got to figure out a way to protect their rank and file without putting everyone down to that lowest common denominator. It happens too often. It happens too often. So again, I think that that is a just cause. But the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, Black Lives Matter trademark, the actual Black Lives Matter movement, not the, not the idea of Black Lives Matter, but, uh, Black Lives Matter, but the Black Lives Matter movement, that, that trademark group, is anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. And it's incredible. I mean, it's almost, they march down the street, say, we want justice for black people, we want to stop police brutality, and oh, by the way, we hate Israel. I mean, where does Israel even come into their conversation? This is, again, an example of what I was talking about earlier. You, it, is a, it is a dead giveaway that a movement, that an organization, is bad news and is going to look for violence and for unjust revolution, or whatever you want to call it, when they use anti-Semitism. Because anti-Semitism is what they are using to attract violent and fervent members that they are hoping to be foot soldiers in their nefarious you know, goals. Any Jewish group... Or any Jewish person who marches with an official Black Lives Matter sign or with an official Black Lives Matter movement is making a huge mistake, is betraying his fellow Jews, is betraying Israel. Now, if you want to start a Jewish group that says we want to end police brutality and even uses the word Black Lives Matter, fine. Use their terminology. Take it away from them. They don't, they don't own those words. They don't, they don't get to own them. But to actually march with the real Black Lives Matter group or any one of these official parts, any one of the official people in the organization is not justified. No Jew should do it. And I'm seeing so many Jewish people doing it, and I'm seeing rabbis doing it, and it is a disgrace. Pure and simple. Should not be, should not be continuing. And speaking of disgraces, you have, again, even Jewish people spreading some of the, the lies about Jews. <laughs> in addition to that, and that includes... The assistant rabbi at that massive reform synagogue on Fifth Avenue, many of you know at Temple Emmanuel, the assistant rabbi there tweeting over the week, uh, over, during the week that Jews are not the indigenous people of Israel. I am I'm, I'm greatly paraphrasing. I did not, that is not a direct quote, but he's basically saying Jews shouldn't consider themselves indigenous people uh, to, to, to Israel, which is... Not true. Of course the Jews are indigenous to Israel, and there are many, many documents to prove it. Jews have always lived in the land of Israel, even when the community was dwindling down to, to the hundreds. 
But there have always been Jews living in the land of Israel. This idea that this was Arab land and the Jews took it away is nonsense. It isn't true. There were Arabs who lived in Israel for just as long as the Jewish people or close to the amount of time. That's true. So this is the whole point about it being some some, some territories in Israel being disputed. But to call Israel occupied territory, to say that the Jews are not indigenous people, and for a rabbi, even for a reform rabbi, listen, I know the reform movement seems like it's so disconnected from Jewish traditionalism and even Zionism sometimes. But there is no excuse for any Jew, especially someone who, who you know, has the title rabbi, to spread that misinformation about Jews not being the indigenous people of Israel. They are the indigenous people of Israel. And the reason why that is so dangerous is because people, Jews die. Jews, Jews are killed over this lie. In Europe and in other places, anti-Semites go around and say the Jews are stealing Israel from the Arabs. Let's go kill them. I mean, they, this is, I'm not making this up. This is what happens all the time. Now, Thankfully, again, not to paint the reform movement with a too broad a, br- a brush, thankfully, the senior rabbi at Temple Emmanuel publicly rebuked his assistant rabbi for saying this. But you can see what's going on. There are, there are elements within the Jewish community, even rabbis, even people who consider themselves officials within the Jewish community, even if it's just the reform movement or the conservative movement, who are not only not supportive of Israel and and Jewish tradition in a way that I think is acceptable, they are absolutely swallowing and parroting the the the, the epithets, the lies, the slanders of the anti-Semites. This is just incredible. So it's incredible that I have to say this again, folks, but do not march with official Black Lives Matter groups. They are anti-Semites for no for no reason other than to try to stir up violence and hate. And do not s- swallow whole the ridiculous anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist lies that, that are out there. I, I don't know why this has to be repeated, but I guess it does. So, folks, let, let, let's, let's not forget there's a lot of educating to go on here, and it isn't all going to be solved by going to Auschwitz and learning about the Holocaust. There's a lot to learn about. There's, there's Jewish history to learn about, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, all these things. And clearly, a lot of our fellow Jews are just as misinformed as, as non-Jews, as anti-Semites. It's, it's, really quite, it's really quite rough to deal with. Um, another thing that just felt like anti-Semitism to me or felt like the kinds of things that Jews have had to deal with over the years is this story about Goya Foods over the last few days, which has been just so disappointing and frightening to me. This is another topic that I just wanted to briefly touch on. Uh, Last week, the president of Goya Foods, who was, who was a Latino man, and it's in a completely Latino family-owned business. It's not a publicly traded company. This is still a family-owned business by, by a Latino-American family. Was invited to the White House for the special executive order that President Trump signed last week, making it easier for Latino businesses to, to, to flourish in the country. How much of an effect this executive order will have, we'll have to see. Nobody thinks it will hurt harm his Latino businesses or anybody else's business. So it's, 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 it may not be a huge big thing, but it's a good thing. And during the ceremony, the president of Goya Foods got up and praised President Trump. He didn't just praise, but he would mostly praise the executive order that he was signing, which makes sense because he's a Hispanic Latino own, a businessman himself, obviously. But he also praised President Trump and he said that the, you know, he's grateful for President Trump being president and all that. And of course, this blew up the, 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 the heads and, and angered greatly 
the anti-Trumpers out there, of which you know half the country appear, appears to be, but certainly the most fervent and angry anti-Trumpers out there, which thankfully is not the half the country, still not a large percentage of people, just a very loud and effective group of people. They got incredibly angry over this. How dare he say anything nice about President Trump? How dare he say he's a good person? Um, and led by people like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they decided to try to promote a boycott of Goya Foods and telling people not to buy Goya Foods. And there were people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who was not, you know, who comes off, I, I, I don't know if she's intelligent or not. I really don't. She comes off not so intelligent. She comes off like a teenage girl. I know she's almost 30, but she comes off like a teenage girl in the way that she talks, in the way that she carries herself, in, the, in some of the ignorant things that she says. So it was bad enough that she did it because she's a sitting congresswoman. But then there were people like Robert Reich, former labor secretary and a, and a, and a Jewish man, of, uh, supporting the, the boycott. Now, I know he's kind of gone off the deep end in recent years. He's gone from being kind of a staunch liberal and on the left side of the Democrat Party, which is fine. But he's gone off the deep end with Trump, even before Trump became president. He started to go off the deep end and really starting to support some of the more conspiracy theory type nonsense out there about Republicans and conservatives. But this is really, even for Robert Reich, I was very surprised and disappointed to see him join in this thing. Now, this tr- sadly, this just reminds me of some of the ways that Jews are boycotted, not just in the past. I'm not even talking about Kristallnacht or some of the things the Nazis did. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about right now, like in Europe, where products from Israel are boycotted. And of course, it ends up becoming all Jewish products that get boycotted by some of these fanatics. This just felt so, this feels so much like that. So it is just, it is so gut-wrenching to see, and it isn't even just like some uh, protest movement that's trying to start this boycott of Goya products. It's a sitting congresswoman, a member of Congress, a, a former labor secretary, prominent people supporting a boycott of an American-owned, Latino-American-owned company, uh, which, by the way, is a staple. Their, their, their products are staples among lower-income people. You know, this canned foods, it's, it's, it's cheap food. It's good, by the way. Some of this stuff's very good. And a lot of this stuff is certified kosher, by the way. So if you want to reverse this boycott by buying some of their products like I did over the weekend, I, I, I suggest you go, you know, go do it. But it's just such a scary thing to see this kind of thing happening from people who really should not be at, at the forefront of this kind of hatred. It's so scary. So again, that, that just left a bad taste in my mouth and, and, and it was, I was really worried about that. Um, Obviously, still the top story, the top story throughout the country and, and around the world is still the, the COVID-19 and the coronavirus and, and how that's going. You know, there have been surges in the number of people who are testing positive for the disease in some of these states that apparently the virus just got there, you know, is working its way through the country. But the difference is, of course, a number. Of th- there are a number of differences. First of all, the fatality rate, thank God, is way, way down. We are still, thankfully, not seeing a spike of any kind in deaths from the virus. And I think that's from a lot of different things. I think it's from possibly the virus weakening. It's from possibly, uh, it's from certainly from the treatments that we're using, whether it's the, the new treatments that have been developed, hydroxychloroquine, the anti-malaria drug mixed with zinc and, and used properly. All these things, by the way, used properly with a doctor clearly seem to be treating the disease better. Um, and, and a few other things are, are, are holding that death rate down, and I think they're holding the severity down. 
And there are some areas where hospitals, again, there are some hospitals, there are some areas, there are some hospitals that are getting larger number of patients and some that aren't. And this has to be dealt with seriously. We've gone past the point, sadly, though, of getting a lot of honest information from the mainstream news media about it. The headlines are always going to be sensational. They're going to try to scare people. And, of course, the big battle continues to be, and as you know, as I've said many times here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, I'm very concerned about the schools not reopening. The science is behind it. It They should reopen. The studies are behind it. They should reopen. Sadly, though, it's becoming politicized. Just uh, about two weeks ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics said the schools should reopen, physical, in-person learning. And then they backtracked a little bit on, fr- uh, on Friday of last week, clearly for political reasons. Anybody who thinks there's any other reason you know, is just fooling themselves. So sadly, we can't trust a lot of our own doctors. But again, I, I would f- focus on their scientific statements and not their political statements. And you can see that whether it's Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, which is one of the leading children's hospitals in the world, or the original statement from the American Academy of Pediatrics before the politics seeped in, we need to have in-person school in this country, and we will not have the country even coming close to recovering on an economic and mental way until that happens. We need to do that. We must do that. And getting back to some of the stuff I was talking about before with like boycotts and, 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 and anger about it, listen, folks, one thing I really want to want to say don't be such a smarty pants to other people publicly about how to deal with COVID-19 okay honestly now I wear a mask at the stores and the places where they require it I'm not going to be one of these people who's going to stir up up a problem it's I will absolutely wear them but please don't be that person who yells at the guy who doesn't have a mask and tries to shame him and and takes video of him it's it's enough this is this is sick Nobody really has, has a perfect record on the dealing with this virus. No one can really pretend to be so smart about this, so smart to the point that they can try to shame and, and uh, humiliate people online. That's not going to solve anything, and it's only going to create more of a pushback, by the way, for whatever safety measures are necessary here. So I, I would urge everyone just to, to take it easy and stop. And, and, and on the other hand, too, on the other side, too, I feel the same way. If you feel that masks aren't really that effective, don't go around scolding people who are wearing masks. That's also, it's just stupid. Stop scolding everybody. And I know, I know it sounds hypocritical because I'm just pretending to, I'm, I'm sort of scolding right now, but I'm not because I don't know if any of you are doing this. I just, I just hope people will stop scolding one another over this and, and stop pretending that they know so much of what they're talking about. All right, quickly, I just want to mention one thing that I left out last week in my tribute to my uncle Alan Meyer. I think one of the most incredible deeds of his life, one that not enough people know about. Uh, how many of you listening know about a person named Shinoe Sugihara? I'll just use his last name because maybe that will help a little bit. Sugihara was the Japanese diplomat under the imperialist Japanese regime during World War II to Lithuania and other parts of Eastern Europe. Some people call him the Japanese Schindler, but to be honest, in my education, and this had nothing to do with my uncle, just my education in school, my Jewish schooling, as a kid, I actually learned about him and never learned about uh, Oscar Schindler. But Sugihara saved many Jews in his position, and he did it secretly. The imperialist Japanese government wanted to cooperate with Germany in the Holocaust, or at least get out of the way. But Sugihara knew that this was a terrible thing that was happening, and he got a lot of Jews from Lithuania, and I think maybe even Poland, but certainly Lithuania, got them out and got them resettled in, in Shanghai, which was under Japanese control at the time. He saved a lot of Jewish people. He died in 1986, and then my uncle Alan Meyer learned that because he had defied the Japanese government in helping the Jews, and again, this was the imperialist Japanese government, not the democratic one, 
that for some reason the official dishonor status that he was living under had not been lifted. And my uncle Alan Meyer worked very, very hard to get his reputation fixed officially in the books in Japan and to get his wife the honors and pensions and, and, and accolades she deserved. And to me, that was just an incredible Jewish story, Jewish-Japanese story that I had not relayed last week. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now, a rapid-fire Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.